Welcome everybody to this week's episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Uh, my name is Nathan Lear and I'm here again once again with Glenn Fairburn. Uh, we're both uh, advisors and directors of Hewson Private Wealth. Uh, and Hewson Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading independent wealth management firms uh, and our, our major sponsor of the show. Um, today we are having a, a discussion around self-managed superannuation funds. Um, we'd just like to, as usual, um, let you know that this is general advice. So within this podcast, we obviously haven't uh, considered your individual circumstances. So we hope you enjoy the podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Well, as we all know, superannuation forms a fairly significant part of all of our lives, in particular when you enter the workforce. It's a major component of anyone's retirement plan and the, the total level of assets within superannuation has obviously grown phenomenally since compulsory superannuation was introduced in the late 80s. Um, but one segment of the superannuation system that's had phenomenal growth in, in recent years, probably since um, the global financial crisis has been self-managed superannuation funds. Um, and there was a report released recently, um, I suppose, with concerns that people are using self-managed superannuation funds um, as a way to borrow and invest in property and that that may have some implications to the financial system in future. Um, in their, I suppose, annual review of self-managed superannuation funds, um, the tax office found that funds with assets of less than $50,000 lost an average of 16.7% and actually failed to achieve any gains between 2009 and 2016. So that, that's, that I suppose, in itself is a, a pretty alarming figure for those who have got fairly low um, balances. So we're keen to have a bit of a discussion about that. Um, but also the fact, um, which is probably concerning from an asset allocation or an investment perspective, is that three in every five self-managed funds with balances up to 100,000 um, had 80% or more of the funds invested in a single asset class, which in most cases was either cash um, or listed um, or unlisted property. Um, so a few sort of figures there which are in somewhat alarming regarding self-managed superannuation funds. Um, so what Nathan and I thought we'd work through today is really just have a discussion around self-managed superannuation funds, firstly what they are, um, but also perhaps when you should be looking at setting them up, if they're appropriate at all, um, and, and just work through some um, different situations and, and discuss the pros and cons of the structure. So, so Nathan, I suppose to kick things off, um, perhaps we should just have a bit of a discussion and, and give our listeners an overall summary as to actually what is a self-managed superannuation fund. Definitely. G'day, Glenn. Um, so in terms of a, a self-managed superannuation fund, well, simply it's a trust structure, um, which is governed by a trust deed. But the main reason people do it is because it allows you to have a lot more control and flexibility in terms of the, you know, the investments you select and the approach that you take. So in, in the case of a self-managed superannuation fund, generally speaking, you're the trustee. I mean, you can have a corporate trustee, but you're in control of the fund. So compared to uh, you know, your retail or your industry fund alternatives where they are the trustee, they're in absolute control. So it's a way basically where you can take control of your, your superannuation. And, and the rules and regulations 
around self-managed superannuation funds are in a lot of ways identical, aren't they, to any other superannuation fund that people have access to, whether it's an industry fund or a retail type fund, in that the tax treatment's exactly the same. Um, That's right. That's right. So and a self, just with a self-managed fund, you can have between one and four members. So um, often, you know, a husband and wife might like to set one up together and pull their funds together or, you know, you can't even bring in family, children if you want. Yeah, so I suppose you can run it as a, as a bit of a family type structure. And I suppose the important thing for people to consider when they're um, sort of reviewing their superannuation arrangements is that I think we've said this a couple of times that with superannuation it's important to distinguish between superannuation as an investment product and a tax structure. And I think the point you made earlier with regards to just explaining what a self-managed fund is, it's effectively just a trust um, or a way to own assets. So it's not an investment product as such. Superannuation um, as an overall type thing is really just a a structure that you can use to own assets. And as you were saying, a self-managed fund is really in essence just Um, a a way for you to have greater control over your benefits. Um, So just on that, why do you think people, or I suppose the growth in in self-managed super funds really over the last 10 years has been phenomenal? What do you think the motivation behind that is? I think going back to what I I just said then was the the control aspect. So when you hand it over to an industry fund or a retail fund perhaps, there's a, you're a lot more restricted in terms of what you can do, what you can invest in. So in, in a self-managed fund, you can, you can do a lot more. You might want to go out and you know, pick uh, you know, direct listed company shares or you might want to go and buy a real property. Um, I think that's probably one of the big drivers in why people are... Yeah. Do you think people lost faith maybe during the GFC because there was... Obviously, we had a massive um, downturn in financial markets. There was a lot of failed investment products and funds that weren't performing that well. Do you think people just thought, well look, these so-called experts aren't doing so great. Maybe I'll just give it a go myself. I definitely think that's a, a big part of it, uh, especially when you, you, know, you are forking out your, you know, your management fees and when they're underperforming, even if it's the whole market. I mean, people probably have the mentality, I'll do it myself and I can save on the fees maybe. Yeah, I suppose another key reason may also be the fact that we've had a very, very strong property market and people have been obviously fairly keen to get to get involved in in the growth in in property values over the last decade or so. And and obviously within a retail type fund or your traditional type superannuation fund, yes, you may have some exposure to property, perhaps in a balance fund or growth fund or whatever it may be. But I suppose one of the attractions for a lot of people, and I think that's where this report um, that was released recently, just about the concerns as, as to what people why people were setting up self managed funds was that a lot of people just have one asset in their fund and quite often it's it's a property, isn't it? So perhaps that's another motivation as well. And also, I forgot the year now, the um, the rules changed with um, allowing limited recourse borrowing arrangements yeah. 10 or so years ago. I think that's probably another real big driver of, of the property acquisitions because you can you can go out there with a, a smallish deposit, maybe 20, 30% of the value of the property and like go to a bank and borrow the rest within the self-managed fund and it's a way you can gain access to a, a bigger asset, isn't it? Yeah, so j- just to, I suppose, expand on that, the limited recourse borrowing arrangement, um, that, that really is just a way for a self in, in simple terms, without going into the technicalities, um, in the past, self-managed superannuation funds were unable to borrow, um, but the ATO provided some guidelines that did enable that structure to borrow. So that's effectively what that was, wasn't it? It was, it was really just a, it's a means for... 
um, trustees of superannuation funds, in particular self-managed superannuation funds, to borrow for investment purposes. And you're right, I think a lot of people saw that as an opportunity where let's just say they had you know, $200,000 in, in super, but maybe had a mortgage outside, they were keen to um, get into the property market. So it was a way for a lot of people to use the balance within their superannuation fund as equity and therefore buy a property with some borrowed funds as well. And, and interestingly enough, in the statistics that were released by the ATO, um, the amounts borrowed to buy residential real estate between 2014 and 2016, so the figures are a little bit old, actually climbed from $6 billion to $12 billion. So there was a doubling in the amount of leverage within self-managed mm. super funds over that two-year period um, and, a, and a $6 billion increase. I mean, these, these are phenomenal mm. figures here where people are, I suppose, taking the plunge with their superannuation assets to buy direct property. And, and I think you're right, as you said earlier, I think that's been a, a major attraction for people just wanting to take control. They've seen perhaps the professional funds underperform. Maybe they've had a property or, or seen friends who have bought properties that have done really, really well. And a way to do that is by setting up a, a self-managed superannuation fund. So I think that's probably one of the, the key motivations behind setting up a self-managed superannuation fund. Um, which just on the property point there, which can be a bit of a concern, especially if somebody's purchasing a big lumpy asset such as a property, um, so they, they don't have any diversification, uh, and also yeah, this is their retirement benefits. And do you think that's a bit of a, a risk? I think it's a great risk. I mean, w- whether it's a risk to the financial system is one thing, um, but I think the greatest risk is to the individual um, and to members of a superannuation fund. And I think any investment strategy that you're running, whether it's inside or outside of superannuation, um, our advice would generally be to have a diversified approach to investment. So it's not putting all your money in property. It's not putting all, all your money in shares or fixed interest. It's getting an appropriate spread across all of those different asset classes. So you're really minimizing your risk because with superannuation or with any asset, you only get really one chance. I mean, it takes a lot to build up your retirement asset. And in the end, when you retire, you need to have that nest egg available to you to um, provide for your, your income needs for the rest of your life. So I think it is for people who are just using a self-managed fund and buying one property and relying on that to meet their requirements in retirement, I think that is a high-risk approach. Yeah, especially the closer you are to retirement because if you only have like one or two assets and, and, and you lose a tenant in one of those properties, I mean, that could be your income source dried up pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of people mm. have also been attracted um, or property developers, I think, are all over this as well. Um, like and, and like they, spru- and also yeah, some brokers pro- out there. Absolutely. Yeah. We've seen numerous stories about people, you know, selling property and really targeting those people um, to set up self-managed funds and, and telling them, look, you can... You can use your superannuation, buy your own property, take control. But with with that strategy comes, I think, a high level of risk, in particular if you're buying, you know, apartments off the plan or you know, high-rise apartments. We, we've spoken a few times on this podcast about the risks, perhaps inherent within that sort of approach. Um, so I think, to be honest, I think it is a concern um, for those people who are setting up self-managed superannuation funds and using all their balance to buy one asset. As you were saying, in particular, as you get closer to retirement, ideally, what we would generally advise to our clients is to have a situation where you've got multiple assets so that your income stream is coming from a number of different sources. Therefore, if you've got a dozen different investments all paying income, if one, two or three or four of them aren't paying, at least the impact isn't as great as if you only had one asset paying 100% of the income. So 
I think diversification is definitely um, your friend in that sort of situation. Yeah. And, and if there's gearing as well and, and, and you have an issue with the tenant and you do need to make loan repayments, that's when you can have a real issue because the banks, if you stop making the loan repayments, the banks are going to kind of call in that capital, aren't they? So, yep, definitely. So, so that's another risk. Like with any gearing strategy, you have to consider that. Yeah, so as, as far as just, just getting back to having a bit of a discussion around self-managed superannuation funds, um, what are the major advantages for people setting up that type of structure versus perhaps a industry fund or another um, comparable fund? What, 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 I mean, why, do, why do you recommend clients set up self-managed superannuation funds? Yeah, it's, it's mainly the, the control and flexibility element. Like I said earlier, you can invest in a lot of, a lot of things. You have a lot more... So, for example, one, one example there is the income. You have a lot more control over the income. So, if you're entering retirement and you need to derive a strong income stream from your from your superannuation base, um, you can go out and handpick specific investments. Where if you're in maybe a more a pooled or a unitized uh, retail or industry fund, it's a lot harder to do. So, the ability to invest direct into assets, I, I think suppose, directly. Yep, direct yeah. investment and just controlling the outcome. So, whether that's an income outcome or a even a capital gains tax outcome. If you're in, yeah. if, if you if you're in accumulation phase and still still paying tax, um, you know, you control when you buy, you control when you sell an asset. And I think also, I mean, one of the things that I talk to clients about is not necessarily total return, because I think a lot of these discussions. I mean, th- this particular article was comparing the performance of industry funds versus self-managed super funds, and I'd really encourage people not to get too caught up with bottom line performance when you're comparing one fund to the next because i mean a lot of the discussions i have with clients around a self-managed superannuation fund and perhaps the advantages of it is really around as you were saying yes the control and flexibility but i think also it's the transparency so when you're putting together a portfolio that's got direct assets i think the greatest strength there when you've got your own super fund is that you've got full um clarity as to where your money is being invested so you can look at your portfolio and if you're investing direct into shares you know every single share you own if you've got property assets and fixed interest i think knowing where your money is invested and therefore being i suppose clear as to what each of those assets are generating an income it gives you greater predictability of that outcome because when you're investing in a diverse portfolio where you've got cash fixed interest shares and property um it's not one singular return that you're getting. You're really getting two parts of a return. One is the income, the other part's the growth. Now, in the short term, when you're sort of mapping out a, a plan, perhaps at retirement or even pre-retirement, to try and determine what is affordable for you to live on from your retirement asset base, we, we would generally say to clients that focus on the income generation. Um, and, and I think by having a self-managed fund where you know exactly where you're investing, you've got greater predictability of that income and you can let the growth take care of itself. So I think that sort of situation where you can predict at least part of the return um, provides a a far greater benefit than just just getting one singular return perhaps from that unitized type structure. So as I was saying, I think total return, it's relevant, but probably not as relevant as the ability to be able to predict at least part of the return. So I suppose... Um, well, you mentioned benefits earlier, and maybe, maybe some other, some other. There's other strategic benefits that a yeah. that a self-managed superannuation fund can offer. Um, I don't want to get too deep into the complexities, but around um, 
for example, estate planning. There's there's certain tax components within a self-managed superannuation fund. You can get a little bit, I guess, more strategic around, you know, maximizing that position for uh, basically on your death. You know, you pay you, you pay six fifteen percent tax basically on the taxable component. So there's ways you can try and minim uh, or maximize the tax-free component. So without going too deep, there's some things you can do there. Also, um, you know, even around not death benefit nominations. I mean, self-managed super funds. You can do non-lapsing death benefit nominations. Most of the you know the industry retail funds. It's a it's a three-year lapsing yep. nomination. So just like little things like that that you probably can't get via the more traditional style. Yeah, funds. I think there's there's definitely some technical things as you were saying around estate planning and pension strategies that people should really be talking to their advisors about because they are quite technical and probably. Mm beyond what we want to be talking about yeah. on this podcast. The other thing that I, I suppose um, we, we see a lot within um, our client base dealing with a lot of medical professionals but also small to medium business owners is the ability for your self-managed superannuation fund to own your business premises, whether that's a factory or a medical consulting suite. Um, that's a great benefit to people because I think there's nothing better than being your own landlord. I mean, in business, quite often your largest expenses aside from salaries and wages is, is perhaps your rental costs. So I think perhaps um, having a self-managed superannuation fund own that premises, it's another means to effectively pay yourself as opposed to a, to a landlord um, and have greater control over that business premises as well. So that's another significant benefit, I think, of a self-managed fund. I agree, but just to explain to the, to the listeners, why, why would you suggest owning that in a self-managed fund versus being your own landlord, landlord in you could own it in your personal. Yeah, own. I think. Look, I think there's pros and cons. It probably depends on your personal situation, um, because, it, for example, um, you know, we, we deal with quite a few young, young medicos, so young surgeons, specialists, um, and quite often, you know, they're mid thirties, early forties. They may have a, a mortgage. You know, they've only just started working, um, perhaps earning decent money, and, and their primary focus is repaying debt. So they probably don't have the means to go out and borrow more money to buy a consulting suite. But they may have, you know, between them and their partner, a couple of hundred thousand dollars in super, maybe add a little bit of debt and, and buy a consulting suite. So it's not for everybody. And there are advantages in doing it inside versus outside of superannuation. But I suppose as a as a as an option, that that's why a lot of people I think consider that um, self managed fund for that reason. I think also that probably won't speak about this too much today, but the, the tax benefits of owning it in superannuation Correct, more yeah. more long term. Yeah. Because it is concessionally taxed. So that's probably a big reason why any future capital gain yeah. you can you can save possibly thousands of dollars. That's another big reason. Yeah, so it that concessional go, it would tax, go inside super. Yeah. So that concessional tax being that um, there's the potential that if you own it throughout your working life and sell it in retirement when you're drawing a pension from your superannuation fund Effectively, you could be in a situation where you don't pay any capital gains tax um, and along the life of that property, any rental income that you're paying in is only taxed at 15%. So you're right, there's definitely some tax benefits um, there as well. Um, can you think, is there any other benefits perhaps we haven't touched on, Nathan? Or uh, No, that, that's, I feel like that's all. So, so what about the disadvantages? What, why, sh- why would you, I suppose, or why would we talk to clients about perhaps not setting up a self-managed superannuation fund or really just, I suppose, some red flags for people to look out for? I think the obvious one is the the, the cost, especially yeah. like that article you mentioned at the start with, with smaller, the smaller your balance, generally speaking, the, the more expensive comparatively it's going to be. 
I'd say so that's probably the, in percentage terms. Do you mean? Yeah, in percentage terms. Yeah. I, I'd say that's probably the the biggest one of the bigger. Con- well, obviously there's there's setup costs as well. Yeah. So that comes into it. The smaller you balance, the the, the higher as a percentage that'll be as well. Yeah. And, and the reason the percentage is important is is it's because if you're comparing it to alternatives, I think that that's why we we often talk about the percentage cost. And that's really based on the fact that accounting fees are generally a fixed cost, aren't they? So, for example, if you've um, if you've got a self-managed superannuation fund, you have to get a set of financials and a tax return done each year. And let's just say that costs two thousand dollars. If you've got what one hundred thousand dollars in your self-managed fund, then that's two percent. So mm. that's two percent ongoing um, before you even start. So if you compare that with maybe an industry fund, which may be one percent mm. thereabouts. That's where I suppose you just need to be careful, don't you, with the yeah, cost? Yeah, that's right. But if you have a million dollars and you're still paying two thousand dollars, exactly, that's a very, very small. That's right. Small, and what we fee. generally see is that yes, the accounting fee may increase marginally with a larger balance because the complexity might increase, but generally it doesn't increase at the same rate. So, as you were saying, the the, the higher your balance is, the more cost effective it becomes. And may, maybe I'll ask you a bit later, uh, perhaps at what stage should people start? Um, setting up a self-managed superannuation fund or even consider setting one up. Um, I suppose the other disadvantage is really just being aware of the rules and regulations. It's not it's not a simple structure to deal with. It's very, very complex. I mean, we, we sort of, um, at the best of times, struggle with the technicalities as the government releases new rules as they did from 1 July last year. Um, so you really need to remain on top of it, don't you? It's not just It's not like investing in your own name. There's specific rules and regulations that if you don't abide by, there's some pretty harsh penalties as well. Yeah, you've got to be really careful because people might inadvertently do something. They think they're doing the right thing and they might, um, example, it just popped in my head, someone that they might hear that you can invest in artwork in, in your superannuation fund, they might do that and then they might hang that piece of artwork up at their home, which is basically not allowable within th- the rules. Yeah, and I think another trap and is... And you can be penalised financially absolutely. for that. Absolutely. And I think the other trap is people buying investment properties and having family move in. <laughs> like You've got to be really careful with situations like that um, because you are restricted on transacting with related parties. So you can't have any family um, living in an asset that you own unless it's a commercial property. So yeah, I think one of the cons definitely is understanding the rules and regulations and they are very, very complex. There's no doubt about that. I think unless you're you know, really financially savvy in, in, in this department, you'd want a professional advisor or accountant, someone of that nature to help you or, or manage, oversee the uh, legislative requirements. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose w- when we talk about self-managed superannuation funds for our clients, it's probably a little bit different. Um, and without doing a sell job, I mean, as you said, it is, it is very much a, a structure that needs to be monitored um, and, and we, we would always encourage people to seek advice. Sure, there's people out there that have the time, the expertise to manage their superannuation fund and obviously perhaps getting good results out of that. Um, but it's not even just the investment side of things that's important. It's all the strategic things as well, isn't it? Mm. Making sure that um, those, those things are in order. So, And the rules change a lot. Like over yeah, the last the 10 years, we've seen how many changes there have been and you have to comply with these changes. And if you... Uh, I don't know, just you're ignorant or whatever or you forget to do it, once again, you can be penalised. So, And the penalties can be very, very... Well, you can lose half your fund balance. Half in tax effectively. Yeah. Um, so you definitely want to avoid that. So, so look, I suppose working through 
the the advantages and disadvantages for, for as as far as take home value when would you suggest that people should start considering setting up a self-managed fund or seeking advice as to perhaps you know at a stage where they should consider um, setting up a self-managed super fund people often ask how much that the first question is often how much do i need in super yeah. to set up a self-managed fund and we I, I guess you know we get asked that a lot and we we try to um, I, I guess we. It depends. Is probably the answer. It depends yeah. on on the situation. Uh, are you pulling the money with a spouse? Then you might have much more scale, and it might become a more viable solution. Yeah. Um. I mean, I think Glenn, you mentioned the ATO have come out with a rough guideline. Oh, there's a general sort of rule of thumb, I suppose, that we would. Ge- I'm saying general terms. Subscribe to that. Probably a balance of three hundred to three hundred and fifty thousand at at a minimum. Um, and as we were saying earlier, the reason being that if you're looking at accounting fees, let's just say that you know, we're using 2000 as an example, it could be more, could be less. Um, but that's what I suppose makes it, if you're looking at $400,000 in super, it's half a percent. So that becomes more palatable um, because, I mean, it, the cost isn't everything. I think that's another thing that we need to, I mm. suppose, um, advise our listeners is that just because a self-managed fund is more expensive doesn't mean that you wouldn't consider it but i think there is a tipping point like you don't want to be in a situation where a self-managed super fund is costing you five or six times the alternative and maybe that cost is i think in that situation offsetting the benefits but i think it would be fair to say that if you're um, in a situation where you're still accumulating superannuation the probably three hundred fifty thousand dollars around that level would be appropriate um, but if you're a retiree and you're drawing down that's probably another question as well isn't it yeah i think that's a fair comment i think the reason that that people often come back to the the costs is because you can control or you know what the costs are and the return you don't really know markets are very irrational as we've spoken about many times so you can't really control the return so but you can control the cost yeah so i think that's why people often use that as a starting point in terms of cost and then when you compare it to alternatives if you're paying two percent and you can get one percent in a maybe it's not quite as a attractive option you can't do as much but it's yeah. still a sound option That's investment right. plan maybe you'll go with a one percent until you build up enough assets to justify the costs correct yeah exactly mm. right um yeah so i suppose just just working through what we've spoken about today it, with regards to self-managed superannuation funds i mean we, we would say that i think there's no doubt that they're a fantastic structure to really take hold of um, what will be a significant asset to provide for your retirement. Um, I mean, the, the benefits being that you can effectively construct a strategy that's specific to your situation. So sit down with an advisor or, or, or personally and work through what your objectives are, what you're comfortable investing in and mapping out a bit of a plan and having the ability to tailor your strategy specific to what your situation is. And when you compare that perhaps with um, the more public offer funds, it's really impossible for those managers to, to do that because they are managing you know assets for hundreds of thousands of different members so there's no doubt there's significant benefits involved there um, as far as the disadvantage really just being aware of the rules and regulations surrounding superannuation in general but also self-managed superannuation funds um, and lastly just the costs i mean i think we we we, we agree that there is a, a point where they do become cost effective but really anything below that you've really got to I suppose, be in a position where you think you're going to extract as much value as possible. Um, and I suppose we'd also caution people to, um, you know, the, the temptation of perhaps setting a fund 
self-managed super fund up simply just buy an, inv- an investment property and get into that market because I think that's would both agree is fraught with danger because you're really just um, not having much diversification at all within your fund. Um, so look, on, on that note, I hope today's podcast has been informative. Um, if there's any questions, you can always reach out via email, which is moneymentors um, at hewison.com.au. Um, until next time, we look forward to speaking to you again next week. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. We really enjoyed having you with us again. Uh, if you do enjoy the podcast, we really appreciate any any feedback you have. So uh, or feel, firstly, feel free to rate the, the podcast and subscribe uh, and, and reach out to us if there's any feedback at our email address, moneymentors at hewison.com.au. Um, please also check out Hewison Private Wealth's website or also uh, search for Hewson Private Wealth via the social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and, and LinkedIn. And so we look forward to having you next week.